Season 4, Episode 4 is here. And oh man, it's probably our favorite episode of the year. Brett Maloney, Dan Gardella here for the final frame. And man, the college basketball season is a day away, Dan. We got the preview show. We got everything you guys need to know about the upcoming year. And I just got to say, we finally made it, dude. About three weeks late, didn't get the NCAA tournament. Like, the last college basketball we saw was was Q's beating the crap out of North Carolina in the ACC tournament, but that's against the fact. Just like, how you feeling, man? I'm so excited. I can't wait for tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, my last my last experience of watching college basketball, I was sitting in my bed watching the first half of St. John's Creighton, which was the literal last game that that was being played before everything got stopped and canceled and the dominoes fell from that. You know, I'm excited. I'm very excited because obviously college basketball is what we, what we live and breathe. It is our sport. Um, but at the same time, you're very, you're cautiously optimistic about what's going to go down in terms of cancellations, postponements, what COVID cases are going to look like within teams. We've already seen so many teams having to withdraw from multi-team events, tournaments, a lot of teams from the Bubbleville. The teams are just getting to Bubbleville today. And they're already having to leave because of positive tests that they get from Mohegan Sun. They have to leave right after that. So, you know, Sacred Heart, keeping it local, starts tomorrow. But up until that ball gets tipped, I am not getting pumped up for it, which sucks because you obviously have that buildup of what's going to come for the season, the expectations, but anything can change in the blink of an eye. So I'm excited, but – I'm also walking on some eggshells a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm super excited too, but, like, at the same time, I'm scared as hell. Because it's like, I have no idea what's going to happen day by day, hour by hour. Like, like, like you said, like, Mohegan Sun, like, you already have cancellations. Like, two days ago, we were talking about how excited we are for Wednesday night for Baylor, Arizona State we log on PS4 an hour later and Scott drew us COVID and Baylor's out of the tournament. Arizona state's thinking about dropping out, but then luckily they find a replacement for Baylor. So they're back in, but like in these like traveling situations, you just have no idea like what's to come. I mean, you know, originally it was kind of lower end teams, but now you're getting to Baylor, Tennessee had to withdraw. Um, you know, a lot of, of mid-majors who were playing. Bayheim had COVID. Bayheim had COVID. So, I mean, it, the virus doesn't discriminate between high and mid-majors. It's going to hit whoever it hits. And, you know, the, the biggest thing is, <laughs> the best way to describe it is pieces are going to be falling off of this, and the NCAA is going to be trying to slap it together with glue and keep the whole thing together, which I think they will. I think that there is going to be a season. There is going to be an NCAA tournament. There is going to be some sort of college basketball played from now until March. That is a given. As to how much, how much each team is going to play, nobody knows what that's going to look like. Nobody knows what the, the minimum amount of games is. They had said 13 games was the minimum to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Some teams may barely hit that. And think of it. These schools, all these programs are scheduling 25 to 27 games for their season. They may have a lot wiped out. So, you know, it's going to be such a juggling act where you can't even look ahead to next week's game or next, the next opponent because the next day that could get canceled. And I think that's what's going to make this year so much crazier is because 
you can't invest so much in the next game or the game after that and looking ahead because you may not even get to that game, whether it's a positive test within your program or their program. Yeah, it's it's just literally absurd of like what's what's going to happen because we just absolutely have no idea. Like you said, it fifteen games like might get you in the tournament. Like someone might be ten and five, and they're like, "Yeah, you guys played well enough. Like we'll throw you the ten seed, like as like an at large bid." You just simply have no clue what's going to happen. But moving away from. COVID. We don't want to talk about how COVID could affect the college basketball season. We want to talk about it, how we want it to go down. So we're going to go from the AP poll that came out, the preseason poll. We're going to talk about the power five predictions that we have for them. And then, you know, little bold predictions, national player of the years. It's going to be fun. So let's start off. AP poll came out, what, like a month ago? Something like and that. Gonzaga, the number one team in the land going into the year. A lot of people thought Baylor. Gonzaga was up there. Villanova, those are the top three. Gonzaga, Baylor, Nova in that order. Are you surprised by that? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, we had just talked about it before we started recording. I mean, Gonzaga has a lot of talent. Even when this poll came out, there were still some players that their eligibility was up in the air this year from transferring and all that. Um, yeah. But I mean, Literally, as we said before on the air, Andrew Nemhard, the transfer from Florida to Gonzaga, just got his waiver today to play for Gonzaga this year. Yeah, well, play for, starts tomorrow. Play for Gonzaga tomorrow. That is the that is the big thing. But yeah, I mean, for for years and even even now, you know, people are so skeptical of what Gonzaga does because of them playing in in the WCC and they should make the move to the Pac-12 and play more competitive teams. But, I mean, it, it's not necessarily the competition. It's more about the coaching and the players that they bring in. Mark Few is a seasoned vet and knows how to win. And when you have that much talent surrounded by a coach that is very, you know, has won a lot of awards, won a lot of games at Gonzaga, it makes sense. Do I think they are number one? I mean, that's going to be up for debate. I mean, personally, I think I would have taken Baylor or Villanova over them. Would I still put Gonzaga in the top three? Probably, but, you know, that's, that's picky debating. And, uh, you know, we have a lot to get to today. So I, I will spare you the, the words with that. All right, rounding out the rest of the top ten, you have Virginia at four, Iowa at five, Kansas at six, Wisconsin seven, Illinois eight, Duke nine, and Kentucky rounding out the top ten at ten. I think that's pretty fair. I mean – some some schools are going to – to the not avid college basketball fans that we are, some of those schools are going to pop off the screen to you and be like, they're in the top ten, like Iowa, Illinois. But if you look, those two teams might have the best two players in the country. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to – they're certainly going to have a say in, in, in All-American and certainly Big Ten awards. I mean, I, I think it's just it's just worth noting that you know, you have three Big Ten teams in the top ten, in the AP top ten. And, and none of them are Michigan State. None of them are Michigan State, Michigan, you know. Indiana obviously has not been at that echelon in, in a few years. But, I mean, it's, an, it's a change. And it's a breath of fresh air, if you will, to, to talk about it. I mean, we even saw Illinois last year rose up. Penn State was going to be – was going to make their first NCAA tournament in, I believe it was around a decade. 
you know, Rutgers was going to make the NCAA tournament for the first time in decades. I mean, the Big Ten is certainly on the upswing, and they're going to have probably 9, 10, 11 teams that are going to be banging on the door of the NCAA tournament. And that is what is going to make it so intriguing because all these teams are going to fight each other and beat each other up. So it's going to be, you may get, it may be top heavy, it may be bottom heavy, or it may be just split down the middle like we saw. I think it was even last year or two years ago where first place through sixth place was decided by two or less, two or fewer games. And that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah, that was, that was last year. It was like one, one through eight was like two games apart from each other just because everyone is playing everyone in the league is just so balanced with all this talent that obviously it makes for great basketball to watch. But then like each one of these teams, obviously we didn't get to see it last year because the tournament was canceled, but each one of these teams will then go into March Madness so battle tested that it gives them such an advantage going forward, like playing against these other teams who they haven't seen before because they've been going up against these upper echelon programs night in night out yeah um, go ahead go ahead well I was just I was just gonna add that I mean and that's where that's where you really get to see the exposure of these big players I mean you think of the two players that you know we are alluding to in Luca Garza and and AO I mean those guys came in last year and weren't really the the top guys or players to look out for in the Big Ten and then they get that exposure and they play these top teams and all of a sudden whoa they're in the top 25 they're pushing one, two, three seeds, you know, that's when the exposure starts to come out and leads into this kind of season where now all of a sudden, like you said, people who aren't college basketball fanatics are saying, why is Iowa and Illinois up there? They're never up in the top 10 at any point in the season, let alone preseason. That's where the exposure comes back. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into like those two guys later. Like you said, Garza and Io DeSumo, but like, like that is must see TV every night. Those two guys. Uh, moving down the list, eleven through twenty, we got Creighton at eleven, Tennessee at twelve, Michigan State thirteen, Texas Tech fourteen, West Virginia fifteen, North Carolina sixteen, Houston seventeen, Arizona State eighteen, Texas nineteen, and Oregon twenty. I think what stands out to me in that list is you have like a slew of just freshman studs who are going to help these programs out. Obviously, like the team that stands out to you in that case is North Carolina. You lose, uh, you lose Cole, but you bring back everybody else pretty much, including Garrison Brooks, who was the most improved player in the ACC last year. You bring in these four stud freshmen, Caleb Love, Duran Sharp, Walker Keesler, I believe that's how you pronounce it, and Puff Johnson, Cam Johnson's younger brother. So you get those four guys along with Armando Baycott, who's back, Garrison Brooks, who's back, who we said, Leaky Black. You have so many guys, and, like, Roy Williams had a horrible year last year, and I don't know if that was because Cole was inefficient, Cole was hurt, but he threw so much on that guy's shoulders. Now you have so many other options to use on that team. And then the other team that stands out to me on that list is number 11, Creighton. Another kid who not everyone might know about, but is going to be up there fighting for not only Big East Player of the Year, but a first-team All-American spot, man. Marcus Zagorowski's the real deal. Yeah, I mean, there it's it's the you know it's the Omaha straight shooting Blue Jays. I mean, that's just kind of how their identity is, and it's been that way for 
as long as Greg McDermott's been at the head there. And, you know, Creighton is just one of those teams like last year that, you know, they had a lot of great pieces. They didn't necessarily put it all together at one point, but then that, uh, that class, that, that junior class of Tyshawn Alexander, uh, uh, Mitch Ballack, Marcus Zagorowski, then you had Caleb Bishop, and a bunch of people coming in. All of a sudden, everybody shoots the lights out there. It is impossible to defend them. All of a sudden, they are, you know, Big East regular season champions, which that never happens because usually there's a team named Villanova that always somehow is the one seed when they go to New York in March. That wasn't the case this year. So they have everybody back except Alexander who decided to go to the draft. The Big East is is I think it still has a chance to get six or seven teams into the NCAA tournament. They add in UConn, which obviously helps, but they're going to be right at the top there with Villanova. I think it's a two team battle for who's going to take the regular season title. And you know you can't even say anything about about the tournament because that's months down the road and anything can happen at that point. So going into the year, I think those two teams are going to be battling in the Big East, and and I think Creighton is the more visually appealing team because it's. They're the team that's going to jack up 35 threes a game, and if they're hitting 40% of them, they're going to beat you by 25. But if they're hitting 30% of them, they may lose by 15. Yeah, they're, they're the modern-day basketball team. They're just run and gun, man. And no one did it better than them last year, that's for sure. Uh, and then the final five, we got Florida State, UCLA, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan. So three Big Ten teams round out the top 25, which I believe gives them six teams in the top 25, two, three, seven, four, seven, seven teams in the top 25. So like that literally just goes to your point is how you said just how deep that league is. And you don't even see teams like Indiana on there who has the potential to be really good. Maryland, you never know what you're going to get with Mark Turgeon. His team could overachieve at any point. So that just shows like how deep like college basketball is. And then, like, obviously, like, think about this, too. Like, you don't see a team on there like Oklahoma State, and we're going to talk about them because they got this guy who might be the man of college basketball the whole year. But we'll talk about him. But he's not the only freshman. Like, we lost Jalen Green. We lost uh, Isaiah Todd. We lost Jonathan Kaminga all to the G League. Just think about if we had those guys in college basketball as well, how star-studded it would be. And we haven't even talked about any freshmen that we're like talking about. We've only talked about the upperclassmen in the league. Well, I think it was, I, I want to say it may have been uh, Jonathan Gavoni. Um, he had put out a, essentially a mock draft for, I think primarily the lottery, maybe just the first round in general, but it was such a young lottery. And I mean, you look at all the players that you have in college or in the G league, you know, you got Cade, Obviously, you said, you said Green and, and uh, Kuminga that are in the G League. You got Evan Mobley at USC. I mean, that alone, those are four players that are or should be freshmen in college that are probably right now going to go, you could guess, go within the top 10 based on their raw potential. And then you don't even get to the guys that are, you know, the James Book Knights, the, the guys that are second year, third year, that could have gone pro after a year or two, but have stayed stuck around the college scene a little bit more, but are still going to be near the, near the lottery, if not in it. 
it's going to be a young year in college basketball, but at the same time, that's going to make it a very exciting year because a lot of these players are must-see television. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's just – it's crazy to think how good all these kids are and some of them who were in the top ten aren't even here. And then, like, you didn't even mention guys like B.J. Boston at Kentucky and Terrence Clark at Kentucky who are in the top ten, Zaire Williams at Stanford. Like, there's just so much talent spread out throughout the entirety of college basketball that just makes it so fun to watch, so fun to cover, everything. But moving away from the poll, we're going to go – Power five, power six conferences. Um, just like our predictions compared to what the media day had for each of these conferences. And then just who's too high, who's too low, and who we think is going to win the national player of the year. So I know you have the media day predictions up there. I have our own. So we'll start with the ACC. You can go first with the media day. So – the, in the ACC, the preseason poll, they tab Virginia, who, as we had said, um, as they are currently sitting fourth in the AP preseason poll, they were picked to finish first, got 97 votes, um, first place votes, I believe. Um, so Virginia, followed by Duke and Florida State is the 2-3. Fairly, you know, a solid pick given Duke has a lot of young players who just retool. Florida State loses a couple lottery picks, but still has a lot of talent there. Then North Carolina, as we talked about, moving up with their freshmen and returners. Fourth, Louisville, Louisville, Syracuse, and Miami, five, six, and seven. NC State at eight, Georgia Tech nine, Clemson at 10, Virginia Tech at 11, Notre Dame at 12, and then Pitt, BC, and Wake Forest round out the bottom three. You know, it's it's – the way the ACC is every year, it's, it's kind of molded that way, where it's more you look at the talent, specifically the young talent, and that's where you look toward the Duke and North Carolina, and even the Virginia, they kind of bring in players as well. Uh, and then you look at the success in recent years. Virginia, obviously, in that upper echelon over the past three, four years especially. You know, it, it, it's, it's on par for what you would expect. Um, obviously, we have, we have some different um, – rankings some different mix up a little bit um some higher some lower but uh, i'll let you take care of that one yeah i mean but for the most part like it's genuinely the same we put virginia at one i actually threw north carolina at two just because i think when the season comes to an end i think all those freshmen are going to have such a great impact on the team and roy williams is so good at that as just slowly developing the guys over the course of the season to where they're peaking at the right point. So I put them at two, Duke at three, Florida state at four. So like the top four is the same, just in a little different order. Next three, completely the same Louisville at five Q's at six, Miami at seven. We jumped Georgia tech up to eight Clemson to nine NC state to 10. And then a little jump for BC, putting them at 11 Virginia tech at 12 Notre Dame 13, Pitt 14, and Wake Forest rounding it out at 15. Um, obviously, like, when people watch the ACC, like, they're watching for Duke. They're watching for North Carolina. Virginia now is that household name. Louisville still has that appeal. So does Syracuse. And then, like, Florida State is just, like, this model of consistency where you don't expect them to do anything and then end up being in the top three because Leonard Hamilton just – work some magic and all these guys develop into studs. 
But I mean, uh, who do you think like who do you think's like the sleeper team in this conference? I don't know if I could like say that there's a technically a sleeper team just because like it's so top heavy. Yeah, it, it is very top heavy. I would even say you know one through six. You know, that's kind of that's kind of you expect those six to finish in the top six spots is in terms of which order. You, it, you know, that's. That's a that's a betting thing, you know. I, yeah, of, course, I of course you're gonna throw cues in the top six. Like what? Well, I mean, simply just looking at it from from we were talking top heavy. I mean, Syracuse certainly has the talent to um, talent and experience to be in that top half. Uh, as to what order it's gonna look like, you know as well as as much as I do. I mean, I just think the bottom half is just really like young, inexperienced, like. It's, you like know, like, all, it's all a bunch of like rebuilds. Yeah, I mean, you go two years ago, Virginia Tech was in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, even, yeah, you go 10 through 15 Clemson, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Pitt, BC with all the transfers and Wake Forest. I mean, all those teams, we haven't really, outside of, you know, Virginia Tech was in the, in the Sweet 16, like you said, two years ago. You know, Clemson was, has been a Sweet 16 talent team over the past five years, you know, and now you don't really know what they have and they don't have the proven commodities anymore. So they just drop off a cliff. And in the ACC, that's where you get beat up and you have that really bad record under 500 in conference play. And it's because it's so top heavy. If it's something like the big 10 where they're very even competitively, that's where you get a lot of the, you know, four teams finishing eight and eight or whatever, nine and nine. And, and, you know, you get all these ties and tiebreakers. I really don't see that being the case in the ACC. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the one team, like you said, the top six is we expect to be in some order, that be them. But the one team to actually look out for, I think, is Georgia Tech. They were super hot last year at the end of the season. Who knows if they would have made the tournament or not. But they practically bring back – Everyone from that team, led by Jose Alvarado. Josh Pastner's doing a great job down there. They've gotten through all the sanctions and whatnot that they had going on. So I think if there is just one team out of that like bottom tier who could potentially jump up, I think they're probably the best bet. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just think that the bottom half is so – you don't really know what you're getting from them yet that you have to kind of wait and see how they play to – start to make that assessment. No, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I, I could agree with that. All right. And then, oh, and then uh, who was the ACC pick for player of the year? Who did they give? Um, I'd have to – let me look at this. Wasn't it Hauser? No, it was Garrison Brooks. Yeah, that's who I said was going to win, Garrison Brooks. Garrison Brooks followed by Sam Hauser. Yeah, I mean, I I thought that one was kind of obvious, to be honest. Like, basically one of the most proven players in the league, if not the most proven player in the league, coming off the most improved player in the league award last year. I think he's probably the favorite to win the award and just the, the role he's going to have on North Carolina. Like, the numbers might not be there because of all the options they have, but – just like the impact he gives towards winning, especially if they're finishing in the top two, like we said, definitely should be in consideration for player of the year. All right, let's move 
we'll skip the Big Ten for a second. Let's go to the Big East. So, I know your your favorite conference, man. A little Big East basketball. You can hit us with the media day first. So, as we said, Villanova and Creighton getting all of the first-place votes. Villanova got nine. Creighton got two. Um, so, Villanova sits as the preseason favorite, followed by Creighton. Providence, UConn, and Seton Hall, three through five. Marquette, Xavier, Butler, six through eight. And then St. John's, DePaul, and Georgetown, nine through 11. I mean, the amount of, of balance and talent in the middle from, you know, UConn freshly joining. Seton Hall loses Miles Powell, and that's obviously a big loss, but they still have so much talent there that they could even finish in the top three. Marquette loses a lot. I was surprised that they were as high as they were. Um, but I would assume just, you know, uh, they would they get the freshman of the year. They get, a, they get big transfers. I could see them, I guess, finishing near the middle. Xavier, I think a lot of people are low on because of the loss of Najee Marshall and Tyreek Jones and Quentin Gooden. Um, but they still have a lot of talented guys there in terms of Paul Scruggs comes back for his senior year. You got Kiki Tandy, Zach Fremantle is now sophomores who played a lot of meaningful minutes. Um, I see them finishing no lower than six, maybe seventh, but I don't know. I just think that Travis Steele and Xavier, they're just too good a program to finish that low. Then Butler rebuilding, um, losing a guy like Kamar Baldwin just sucks. Um, and it's just tough to replace that. Um, so they're obviously in a bit of a rebuilding period, but, they're still going to turn in close to a 500 record. St. John's, Mike Anderson's never had a losing record overall. I don't see that changing again. If he can take what he had last year and still turn in a 500 record or better, he's going to do it this year. It, it's the same talent, just under his, his tutelage for one year, and they're, they're going to be good. I think, you know, I know our good friend John Fanta has him as a sleeper team someone a team that's going to surprise some people so you know i i fully agree with him with that and then DePaul and georgetown both rebuilding teams um, nobody's hit with been hit with as worse luck as as georgetown has losing james akinjo josh leblanc mac mcclung who seemed to be this big three of of sophomores who were going to take over georgetown and bring them back to the ncaa tournament but now you look at them you know they're all gone akinjo's at arizona leblanc's at lsu and McClung is at Texas Tech where he just got his waiver as well. So it's tough for Patrick Ewing, but he can coach. He has the capability to do it. He just needs the bodies to do it. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. The, it's, it's Nova Creighton and then about like three through eight can go in any order. So what we had is Nova at one, Creighton at two, obviously. UConn at three, Providence four. Xavier five, Seton Hall six, Marquette seven, Butler eight, Georgetown nine, St. John's 10, DePaul 11. So the reason, the reason I threw UConn at three, which might be the biggest surprise because you're like, oh, they're coming back to the Big East after leaving the American. A lot of the guys that they recruited might not be Big East caliber guys. I don't think that's the case, dude. Dan Hurley's recruiting his ass off. Like, and as you talked about at the beginning of the show, they have a stud on that team. James Booknight, if he's not a household name now, by the end of this year is going to be a household name for all of college basketball to know. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. That you know, there are plenty of people who who don't know exactly what James Book Knight is capable of yet. Primarily because they played in the American and not a lot of exposure there. Uh, they so they would see the highlights, the top ten plays that he would do, and the dunks and all that. But he's much more than that. An improved shooter can get to the basket at will, um, and is already a leader. And that's the biggest thing with this team. There's so many talented players. This is the last year, essentially, of the Kevin Ali's guys. This senior class is what Kevin Ali brought in. After this year. It's all Dan Hurley's guys. And even so, even the, the seniors that they have, Isaiah Whaley, Josh Carlton, they're still buying into what Hurley's doing. And they're going to be big pieces of what UConn does this year. So I think, I think coaches wanted to put him maybe a little higher, maybe at third. But there's also that element that they haven't played in this conference in quite some time. So we'll see just how much of a wake-up call it is when conference play does come around in mid-December. No, yeah, I totally agree. And I actually think you said our good friend John Fanta said that his sleeper team is St. John's, that they could potentially surprise someone. And I know, like, you and I have seen just reports coming out of that camp that, like, they're raving about Posh Alexander, the freshman point guard, who could really burst onto the scene as an unheralded guy coming out of high school, stayed local to St. John's, and just could really explode. I don't know about you, but I'm going to say my sleeper team actually for the Big East, you kind of touched on them, is Marquette. DJ, DJ, Char, um, DJ Carton coming in from Ohio State to Marquette, the transfer. He has his waiver to be able to play. Dawson Garcia, who was picked as the preseason freshman of the year in the conference, I think that's a fantastic pick. He's going to, he's going to light up the conference and obviously like, Losing Marcus Howard, like you said, for Seton Hall, losing Miles Powell, it's the same deal. Like, those guys were that program the last four years. Everything they gave, everything they did, they brought them to national relevance. And so it's going to be interesting to see the, tra- the transition that they take this year, especially in the first year out of those guys' errors. But I think uh, Wojo has the type of pieces where he can make a little run in the Big East that people really weren't expecting after Marcus Howard left, but it's definitely possible. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing with the big East is it's, it's never, it never goes. As how yeah. It does. It's, it's just so chaotic and, and, you know, they're picked six, they could finish top half, get a buy in the big East tournament like that. It, it, you don't really know what you're going to get with these teams, especially this year in this COVID situation. You don't know what teams are going to be healthy the most. You don't know, what players are going to be out more, it's just going to be like it is what it is, and we're just going to roll with what we got. And that's kind of the best way to look at this season. And then they, I assume, had Zagorowski as preseason pick for player of the year. Uh, let me double check. I believe so. It's one of those two. Um, Marcus Zagorowski of Creighton or Connor Gillespie of Nova. Yeah, I got to double-check that. Uh, it was Zagorowski. That makes sense. I mean, that's who we had, too, and, like, we talked about him earlier. The guy's just going to light up the Big East, and you don't expect anything different. Absolutely. All right, let's go. Let's go to the Big Ten. You know, we've talked about them a lot in the, just the consistency, not even the consistency, but just the 
talent from top to bottom in the conference is just so, so deep where I think this one's actually going to be really interesting to talk about just because of like the top like eight teams could literally go in any order. So media day, they had Iowa at one. So the media day, let me just find it. They had uh, Illinois at one, Iowa two, Wisconsin three, Michigan State four, Rutgers five, Michigan six, Ohio State seven, Indiana eight, Purdue nine, Maryland 10, Minnesota 11, Penn State 12, Nebraska 13, Northwestern 14. Player of the year was Luca Garza. And then for us, we had Illinois as one at one as well. Michigan State at two, just because it's it's Tom Izzo, man, and you know he's gonna you're gonna get his team up there in some way. Iowa at three, Rutgers at four, Wisconsin at five, Indiana at six, jumping Michigan, who we have at seven, Ohio State at eight, Maryland nine, Minnesota ten, Purdue eleven in a rebuild year, Penn State at twelve, Nebraska thirteen, Northwestern fourteen, and then we had the player of the year as Io Desuma from Illinois. So I think the two biggest things is Rutgers at four. Like no one would think that. And Indiana at six. You think – we didn't really hear about Indiana much last year. The last time they were really on the national scale was two years ago with Romeo at the helm. And then Rutgers last year bursts onto the scene – and led by Geo Baker, who's just hitting clutch shot after clutch shot, sending Rutgers to what would have been their first postseason appearance in however long. So I think four is like a perfect spot for them. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they're going to unleash on Sacred Heart tomorrow night. <laughs> that is what I will say. Um, they're just so experienced, and they have so much talent, and Steve Peichel has done such a tremendous job with them that – you know, you, you can't help with bet form. I mean, they they haven't given you a reason over the past even year and a half. I mean, you even go to, you know, you go to 2019, 2018. If you remember the 2018 Big Ten tournament, they were the 14th seed, and they made it to the semifinals. They played Purdue in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. like And then ran into the train that was Carson Edwards. Yeah, then, then they ran into uh, some tough competition. But even into last year, they did well. And, and then last year, we all know what they, what they did, and they were on track to make the NCAA tournament. But they bring a lot of people back. Geo Baker is one of those players that is coming back. Like, he's going to get some consideration for Big Ten Player of the Year if Rutgers does what they need to do because he is just such a catalyst for that team. He is the engine for that team in terms of production. And if they're winning, it means he's going to be putting up big numbers. Yeah, and then the other one was Indiana, and, like, I'm all aboard the, the Trace Jackson Davis hype train. I know we had talked about it last year just talking about basketball here and there, but, like, I was like, dude, you got to look out for this kid at Indiana. Like, he's got the build. He's a stud, can do everything on the court. And now I'm looking forward to him to take that leap from fresh, a good freshman year to a really good sophomore year, and I think he can do that. And – Indiana's got a whole lot of pieces, too. Al Franklin, um, Landon coming in, Joey Brunk's back, Davis is back. 
uh, fantasy's back. They got so many guys who have played in these games that just I think they're ready to finally take that step forward under Archie Miller because they've been good. They've been middle of the pack, but like this team could have the potential to be they were they were what in the media poll? Eight. Um let me double check. Yeah, eight. They could easily jump to four or five. And it wouldn't really surprise anyone. I agree. And then obviously as we said, you think like you said Geo Baker, like he could be in the player of the year running, but when it comes down to it, you know it's Luca Garza versus Io, dude. And it's pick your yeah. poison. You want the traditional big or you want the shot creating guard? I wouldn't even say traditional big. It, it, I guess if you're calling traditional as in like how college basketball is nowadays or how basketball is, a guy who can shoot and get rebounds and block and do everything, yeah, he is your traditional big. And, and last year the competition that he was going up against, you know, Jalen Smith, Xavier, uh, Xavier Tillman, you know, you're going to – you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, yeah, Kofi Cockburn of Illinois. I mean, you're going up against quality players day in and day out, and he was just putting up these absurd numbers, and Iowa was fighting for a number one seed. If not, they were a surefire number two seed, and it was really all because of him. And now he's back, and the talent around him has dropped off a little bit. But, um, you know, Jordan Bohannon's back, I believe, right? And he's healthy. Yes. Which is extremely important for him. Yeah, so – I mean, there's still some talent around him, but, I mean, when you have a guy like Luca Garza, I mean, that is, you know, that alone could get you wins. Not saying he's a one, he's, you know, he's a one-player, it's a one-player team, but yeah. when you have a guy like that, it certainly takes a lot of attention away from some of the other guys, like a Jordan Bohannon, who we know can absolutely shoot the lights out from behind the arc. No, that, that, that totally makes sense. And it's literally like a toss-up who you think's going to win. Both teams are so deep with talent. Like, we, we've mentioned – Io for Illinois, we haven't even met, the only time we mentioned Kofi Cockburn was just him going up against Luca Garza, and he's a potential All American candidate as well going into his sophomore year. Like both those teams are so like deep, but they just have this star who just is so much ahead of everybody else, like in college basketball. All right, next Big Twelve, and this is this might be. This might be the time it gets fun. And not for the picks, but for players. So, um, Baylor was the preseason favorite, earned seven of the ten first-place votes. Kansas got the other three. They were second. West Virginia, Texas, Texas Tech, three through five. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, who I know we're going to talk about, and Iowa State, six through eight. And then TCU at nine. Kansas State rounds it out at ten. And then we had Baylor at one, as they did Kansas as two. That everyone kind of assumes that Texas Tech at three, Texas at four, West Virginia at five. Those three you can put in any order, and anybody would be okay with that. They're all on the same level. Oklahoma State at six, Oklahoma at seven, TCU eight, Iowa State nine, and Kansas State ten. So who was Jared Baylor, their preseason player of the year? Yeah, Jared Butler, yep. I mean, yeah, Jared Butler. I mean, he he was my other pick, but I I had to go with Cade Cunningham, man of Oklahoma State. Like, 
the the talent, the potential, just everything that that dude has is just like it screams like. I don't even know who I would like compare it to in recent memory of college basketball. I don't want to say I don't want to say Zion because that was Duke and that's a whole different level. But it just is like, who's like someone who went to like a lower end power five school and it just lit up the world. Um, trying to think here. Oh, all right. I got it. It's the same conference. It like screams Trey Young type type stuff that's going to go on. Fair. It's like that level of talent, except he's not six one like Trey Young. The man's six eight, running the point. What can't he do? He's probably gonna. He's the best player in Oklahoma State without a doubt. He's probably gonna give you about eighteen six and six, like on a nightly basis as a freshman in the Big Twelve. It yeah, just I mean, surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean they they. Uh... You know he's going to be a star, and you know I'm I'm a guy that's that can root for somebody who's loyal to a program, and especially given all the sanctions and the ban that they had this postseason. Um, you know him sticking with them and saying, "I still want to play for you guys. I'm honoring my end." Like that alone makes you root for the kid and be like, "All right, I want to see what this kid's really about." And uh, you know you're not going to get to see him in the NCAA tournament, but you're still going to get some games out of him, and he's going to light up some box scores. I will tell you that. Literally, and like that's why I gave him player of the year, just because I think he's going to be one of those guys that's like a stat sheet stuffer type guy. He's going to have all these stats. And so a guy like you said, Jared Butler, who was the pick, yeah, he's going to be the best player on the best team in the conference. But I think when thinking about player of the year, just the numbers that this guy has the potential to put up is just something that you can't not like mention and not put into account. Yeah. I mean, with, with a six, eight build, I mean, you can, you can do everything, you know, like you can stuff. Like that's, se- something, that's something me and you would see in the park, like a six, eight point guard running around and doing everything. Pretty much. Like that's exactly what he's going to be doing for them. It's just absurd. And like you said too, I didn't even think about that. He is someone to root for. Like the loyalty aspect of it is, something on its own. They are banned from postseason play this year due to sanctions. But he didn't he didn't go to the G League and take the money. He didn't go overseas. He didn't ask for his letter of intent back. He said, I'm here to stay. I want to play with this team, which is something I can totally get behind as like a college basketball fan. Um, moving south. The SEC, which to me, like – other than the, this was like the hardest one to predict because like after the top five, I just was like, all of these teams have holes. All of these teams have something positive. I just really have no idea what, what's going to happen in this league, but you can start it. Yeah. So the media poll had Tennessee as their favorite to win the conference, Kentucky, LSU, Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and then the bottom five, Missouri, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. Who was the player of the year? The player of the year was – give me a second. Was Florida junior forward Keontae Johnson. 
Interesting. Interesting. So uh, we went Tennessee at one, Kentucky two, LSU three, Bama four, Florida five. And then six was Auburn, seven Ole Miss, eight Mississippi State, nine Arkansas, ten Texas A&M, eleven South Carolina, twelve Georgia, thirteen Missouri, and fourteen Bandy. And I think it, we have to mention it. Like we might be some of the biggest Tennessee supporters of the year. Like we got to shout out our boy EJ, grad yeah, transfer in there from Sacred Heart to Tennessee going to play a pivotal role on that team who has final four aspirations yeah i mean they're they're as talented as can be and obviously the preseason pick is no is no fluke i mean you know rick barnes even told told john rothstein when he was on his podcast that ej has been the best rebounder on that team and i mean when you look at you know they've got guys like eves ponds and and john fulkerson who was playing really well last year to say that he's the best rebounder means that he's going to be seen significant time whether it's in the starting lineup or coming off the bench He's going to be a massive contributor to this team. I mean, whenever they do play, because we all know that they, Rick Barnes got COVID, so they had to withdraw from multi-team events, especially in the Jimmy V Classic, which, um, which stinks given that they were going to be playing against Gonzaga. It was probably going to be a top-10 showdown. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting to see. I mean, we've seen it in the past with Sacred Heart transfers, Kane Broom, Quincy McKnight, or just a few – that have gone on to Power Five conferences to to go and play at the next level, but this is arguably the biggest grad transfer Sacred Heart has ever had in terms of where he's going and what role he's going to have, and that alone makes you just want to watch and turn on the TV. So yeah, I'm certainly excited, especially to see them be at the top of the preseason poll and the talent that they have. You're right. I mean, they do have Final Four aspirations, and I think they can get there because. They're so deep and they're so talented with the newcomers that they bring in. The recruiting class that they brought in was stellar. They well, – Springer, yeah. The, the transfer portal was kind to Tennessee, obviously with EJ, but a couple other people. Then they still have that – Bailey from Oregon. So they have a lot of talented bodies, a lot of talented people that can get buckets or play at a high level. And, and it's going to be just this rotating of who's going to get theirs tonight. And that's what is – going to make this team so dangerous because you have to stop everybody totally totally agree they're definitely a final four contender to say the least and then the other team on that is Kentucky obviously who is always at the top of the SEC you know John Calipari is going to bring in these power five I mean these top five guys and going to have a top five recruiting class year in year out and this year is no different you have guys like Devin Askew BJ Boston Terrence Clark Isaiah Jackson, Lance Ware, and then you have the transfer portal, which was super – talk about kind. The transfer portal was super kind to Kentucky this year. You bring in um, Oliver Czar from Wake Forest, who was a stud last year in the ACC and is only going to get more national attention this year. For Kentucky, Jacob Toppin, who is Obi Toppin's younger brother, he comes in, gets the waiver from URI, and then – who else? And then Davion Mintz from Creighton is also there, who's going to play a huge role. And then you also have guys coming back like Keon Brooks, who played good minutes last year for them as well. And so you just have a slew of talent that like Kentucky can legitimately go about nine to 10 deep and not have to worry about a significant drop off when those guys are on the court compared to whoever they start. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, this is, like I said, it's another conference that you're going to get a lot of top-heavy teams. You're going to get a lot of bottom-heavy bottom teams. So, um, But the top half is very intriguing in terms of the talent level and the, the, um, the intrigue that it'll bring. So then I, the last thing I want to talk about for the SEC is you said that the media day had Keontae Johnson as the player of the year in the preseason. I gave them the player of the year for the conference and Trendon Watford from LSU. Do you see, like, who do you – like, do you think Watford's a good pick for that? Or do you think, like, potentially, like, someone else could do it? Maybe Johnson's the right guy? It's just, like, this conference seemed more open and not as given to who we think is going to be in contention because we said, like, with the Big Ten, you have Iowa and Luca Zagorowski in uh, the Big East, and then, like, Garrison Brooks for the ACC. But this one, like, I didn't really – I couldn't really think of that. It really, I really had to like dig deep and be like, Hmm, well maybe this guy could have a breakout year and potentially win that award. No, I mean, I just, the big names kind of stand out. You know, there's a lot that could get there. There are a lot of the people that got votes for it, especially. Um, so, I mean, in the SEC, especially, you really don't see like someone come out of the shadows and winning the award. Um, it's a very rare thing because you have all that talent where you can kind of get a gauge of who's going to win it or who's going to be in consideration for it even before the season even starts. So, no, I would probably just stick with what they voted. And uh, in terms of Keontae Johnson winning it, I mean, we'll see. We all, as we, we had talked about before we started recording, Florida severely underachieved last year with all the talent that they had. So will he put up more numbers because there's fewer capable options but still have a subpar record, or is he going to rise above and carry them to a finish near the top of the SEC and win the award? So there's a couple different ways you could look at it, but no, I think just the talent at the top and the recruits and the the guys that that they tabbed, I would probably put in that that pool of people who could possibly win it. Yeah, that's why why I went with Watford, like – LSU loses Skylar Mays. He's gone. He's in the draft. He got drafted by the Hawks. So I think it's just like him and Javante Smart, like those are the two guys. And you expect Trendon Watford to just take again, as I've been saying the whole time, that leap from freshman to sophomore year. And he has the potential to really do that and break out. And just as I had LSU as number three, if they're number three, he's going to be putting up huge numbers and definitely in consideration for that player of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. And then the last of the big six is the Pac-12. Pac-12 is, you want to talk about top heavy. That's this conference, man. So near the top. So UCLA was the preseason pick, Mick Cronin, and um, what he has done and built it back up since taking the job. They're now the preseason favorite. Arizona State followed by Oregon, Stanford, Arizona, USC at six, Colorado, Utah, Washington, California, Washington State, and Oregon State rounded out. Player of the year is Remy? I believe so. I just got to double check. Because that, that's who we have. We have Remy Martin from Arizona State as a player of the year. Because we have Arizona State one, Oregon two, UCLA three, Stanford four, USC five, Arizona six, Colorado seven, Washington 8, Utah 9, Cal 10, Washington State, Oregon State, the last two. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. I don't know. I'm trying to read through the lines here. No, yeah, I'm going to assume it was Remy. I think that's like who they had. 
I can't think of anybody else that would. That exactly. Would be. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was Remy. Now that I look at it myself, but I mean, I I put Arizona State at one. They had them what at three, right? Arizona State was. Give me a second. Give me a second. Um. I believe so. I just got to find it again. Yeah, so uh, UCLA was one, Arizona State was two, Oregon was three. Yeah, I put I put Arizona State at one just because, like, they got a whole lot of talent there as well. We said Remy Martin, player of the year. And then another freshman who's hype train, I'm all aboard, is Josh Christopher, man. Like, you've probably seen his, his YouTube highlights, his, the dunks he throws down, but – it's more than just dunks. Like he can get a bucket at any level on the court. So he's going to be someone that's going to come in and provide a huge impact for them. Marvin Bagley's little brother, Marcus Bagley is also a freshman there. He's going to give a huge impact. And then, you know, Bobby Hurley's going to coach. I know the last couple of years, they've kind of underachieved in a way. Like we keep seeing them in these first four games, even though they have all this talent, this could potentially be the year that they finally get away from that and actually have a successful year in the Pac-12 and not just, like, underachieve. And then for Oregon, there's no Peyton Pritchard anymore, as you said. He's on the Celtics now. But, like, he can – you know Dana Altman's going to gonna coach. So regardless if they don't have any star like Pritchard, they're going to find a way to just win games, win games, and win more games. Yeah, no, I. Oregon is just another team that's kind of climbed up over the past couple of years, where they're just consistently near the top of the Pac-12, and they're making NCAA tournaments. And regardless of where they are, I mean, the last NCAA tournament that we had, I believe they made it to the Sweet 16 as a 12 seed. Yep. Upset. I don't remember. Um, I know they lost to Virginia. So then, yeah. So then they, yes. So they lost because they were the 12 seed. And they made their way to uh, – because they were in the same bracket, I remember, as um, UC Irvine, who upset Kansas State. Yes. They beat, they beat uh, – Oregon beat them, and then they lost to Virginia in Louisville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, I think the Pac-12, you kind of expect those three. They got the most talent, best players in the league. You expect those three in some order, Arizona State, uh, UCLA, and Oregon to finish in some way. And then like, it could be a down year for Arizona. You don't really know what's going to happen. You lost a lot to the draft, Nico Manny and Josh Green, Zeke Naji. Uh, USC, as you mentioned before, has Evan Mobley. So they're appealing with his brother Isaiah as well. And Stanford's appealing with Zaire Williams. So like that's two top 10 freshmen in this league as well, along with Christopher, who is going to get some appeal and some love and going to put up crazy numbers. I just don't know how, successful that team is going to be compared to those other top three teams. Yeah. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of talent. I will say there's a lot of like eyes that are going to be on the PAC 12 based on this young talent that they had. I mean, we talked about Josh Christopher, Isaiah Mobley or uh, Isaiah Mobley and Evan Mobley. Um, like that alone gets eyes. And then you got near the top and you got UCLA's back and the PAC 12 is just better when UCLA's at the best, one of the best. Like we remember in 2017 with, you know, when Lonzo Ball was there and they had those freshmen and 
and uh, Bryce, Bryce Alford was there. And, you know, they, that was an intriguing team to watch. It was a fun team to watch. And I think that's just when the Pac-12 is at its best, is when they are near the top, if not at the top of the conference. No, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you saw, like, the love that UCLA gets when they're at the top. Like, that's why they are the blue blood that they are because you're so accustomed to them being the, this top echelon program where you're honestly just like confused when you're not up there and when they're not up there, excuse me. And you wonder why like it's a down year for them. Like you're, Oh, they should be getting every good California kid that comes there. But as you've seen, these other PAC 12 schools have come in and started swooping these guys away like Oregon or Arizona state. So that's why, it's going to make for a fun year with just a whole lot of talent that's in that state. Mm-hmm. All right. All Americans, man, this it's a tough one to do because you don't really know how it's going to work. You don't know, like, as you said, especially this year, COVID, like someone could play 10 games. Like you don't know what exactly is going to happen, but for, if you want to pull up the AP, I'll live. I'll read off ours first. So our first team All-Americans is basically the player of the year in each conference. We have Garrison Brooks, Remy Martin, Marcus Zagorowski, Luka Garza, and Io DeSumo. And I gave – I don't know who you would have personally, but I gave Io DeSumo the nod as the actual national player of the year when it's all said and done. I think just – he's just going to have this year – where he's putting up these crazy numbers on a team that's fighting for a one seed and actually has like a legitimate shot at making it to the final four with all the talent that they have. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not far off in terms of your, um, your all American team compared to what was actually released. Um, You know, Luca Garza and Jared Butler were kind of the headline of that. The two seniors, then Cade Cunningham, Ayo Desumu, um, Corey Kispert of Gonzaga, and then Remy Martin as well. And uh, you know, it's you know now now we're kind of getting back to a point where where some senior you're seeing seniors once again. Last year we saw it a lot with Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, um, Peyton Pritchard. Um, you know, you're starting to see seniors that are sticking around more that are also very talented and can get on that national stage and perform and be seen by a lot of people. We're seeing it again with Garza and Butler. Um, you know, you very well could have thrown Colin Gillespie in there as well. I mean, there's, there's a lot of senior talent and that's something that college basketball had gone away from for a while, while this one and done era was such a hot topic where teams were only going after one and done guys, because those were the ones that were getting the most, television games the ones that were getting the most eyes on them and that's what programs look for but that's not the case anymore yeah and then for the second team I I had a little more fun with it I picked a lot of guys who could break out or guys who I expect to break out or just someone who we've talked about here who just could absolutely just have a crazy year so I had Cade who just we've raved about all show long uh jeremiah robinson earl who we actually have not talked about yet but i know i know you'll have a lot to say about him after this trace jackson davis i just think he's just gonna 
burst onto the scene in Indiana, lead them to just a huge season, hopefully a successful one as well. James Booknet of UConn, same kind of deal, just just going to take the Big East by storm with them now being in it. And then I actually just changed it. I had Jared Butler in there, but I threw Andrew Nemhart in there from Gonzaga. Him being eligible now, I think him leading the program, which Mark Few hopes to be the first national championship, like that's kind of the point guard he wants, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, Robinson Earl is, you know, he very well could have left after last uh, after this past year. He probably would have been a late first-round pick. He still has a lot of upside to him. He can shoot. Rebounding did pretty well. Um, but I think by him going back, he could kind of have a, a same path as like a, you know, some of the other Villanova players that have gone through where you don't see really many one – you don't see any one-and-done players. You see guys that at the very least go two years and then decide to leave. Um, obviously, Shadiq Bey was the recent example of that, leaving after two years. But – it's just something about Villanova where they still get talented guys, but they don't, they're not the guys that leave after one year. They at least get two years out of them, and then sometimes they go. But most cases, they're junior and seniors before they even think about possibly going uh, to the NBA. And that's just, that just speaks to the program and the, the culture that they have there. It, it, you know, they somehow get those talented guys and they keep them, and that's something that usually doesn't go hand-in-hand in college basketball nowadays. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, all right, let's move on to something that's a little more fun. Final four, who you got? I mean, off the top of my head, I'd probably, I would probably end up going with, um, Gonzaga, Villanova, um, Creighton and Tennessee. I just think that, I just think that Creighton and Villanova are the two, they're the two best teams in, in the big East, but I think they're two of the best teams in college basketball. I mean, obviously Creighton's a little bit more do or die with the three, but the guys that they bring in, I just think fit so well with that culture and that identity that I could see them making a way to a, to a final four. So who cuts down the nets? I would go with Nova. And I know we're going to agree with that. I'm the same, but I mean, they're just, you look at their, their, even you go, what, starting eight. I mean, you got Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels as, the, the senior leaders. Then you go, you know, to the juniors, you know, you got Cole Swider, who's this nice spot up shooter. But then you go even further than that. Like Justin Moore is going to break out. You know, we just talked about Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Caleb Daniels, the Tulane transfer can light it up. And Oh, by the way, you forget they have Brian Antoine still there. They, that people forget that before he got injured, you know, the summer before he got to Villanova, he was a top 15 projected pick. And he didn't even play. He played minimal minutes. And now he's going to get a role there, a significant role, where, you know, now people are going to see him and he's not even going to be the best player on that team. And that's what makes them so scary. Yeah, it's kind of sad that we have three out of the four same teams for the final four. The same is Nova, Gonzaga, Tennessee. We both have all three of them making it to the final four. And then I put Illinois in there just because I am riding the Iowa DeSuma train until it falls off, man. Like, have yourself a season, man, because I'm, I'm buying in. I'm buying in. But I, I do have Villanova cutting down the nets as well come early April. I think you, you said all the points that it just, like, it just makes sense. Like, they're so deep, so talented. 
guys who are these high recruits who aren't even the best player on the team, like veteran leadership. They got it all. They got the coach. He's been there before, done that. Like you, you don't even, you just like pencil them in now as like a sweet 16 elite eight final four contender every single year because of, as you kept mentioning the culture that they have there. Yeah. Then, oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I mean, I just was agreeing with everything you said. I mean, the, the teams that we have that are similar have a lot of great things in talent in common. They have, obviously they have the talent, they have the depth, they have the great coaching. They have experience with young talent. Like that's all you need. That's kind of the, the if you're making a, you know, if you're making a recipe for a final four team, that's everything you want, not just experience, not just talent, but everything kind of tied all together. And, it's arguably three of the best coaches in college basketball right now. So it just makes sense that this is like the culmination that they're all going to meet at the final four. You got, give me one, one final four sleeper team. Um, Hmm. I'll go and say, I'll go ahead and say uh, Arizona state. Interesting. I do. To be honest, I was not expecting you to go out West. No, I mean, I just think that, you know, they're this kind of, they're along the same lines as, as those teams that we had mentioned, but just not there yet. I mean, Remy Martin is, you know, all American. They got guys that have been there and then you bring in, you know, Josh Christopher, like you have the wow factor with the experience and Bobby bleep and Hurley. Like that's kind of all you, that's all you need to know. Like that alone could get like, I don't know. I, I think they could be a team that everybody's talking about Oregon and, and, and UCLA, but Arizona State is, is right up there with them. I, I like that. I like that a lot. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it from you, but – Who did you think I was going to say? Who did I think you were going to say? Yeah. Oof. Dude, I don't you, really know. I didn't really know what way you were going to go. What did you say? I said you didn't even have one in mind that you just didn't think I was going to go out west. No, definitely not out west. You're not you're not a Pac-12 after dark type of guy. No, typically it's it's Dan G in bed after dark. You know, <laughs> I I thought you were gonna go to the ACC. I'm going there. It kind of pains me to say this, but I'm gonna go UNC. Okay. I don't roll your eyes because I knew you thought I was gonna say Q's. Well, if we're going on, if we're going on trends, and you, I'm going on ACC, and you knew I was going here. Most of the time, when you say that, it ends up in I'm picking Syracuse. Uh, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go UNC because kind of all the same things we've been talking about. They got the coach. They got the veteran leadership. Garrison Brooks, Leaky Black, they're back. Baycott's been through now a horrible season. So he's going to improve. And then you have all that freshman talent. And if they play the role that Roy Williams wants them to play, I really think they got a chance to just go from what was probably the worst season in history last year. They were, what, the like the 14th seed in the ACC, like dead last they could easily make it to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's end on this note. Bold prediction for the week. 
For the oh, for the week, we're not doing a season. No, 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 not for the season, not for the season. That's a lot. Ooh. Just for the week. Ah. Sacred Heart beats Rutgers. <laughs> You're funny, kid. You're funny. <laughs> funny. No, I think. I mean, if we, if while we're on the subject, I genuinely think. If you're a betting man, I would take whatever line comes out of that game. I, I would go – I would think I think that they're a 25 to 30 point is what the result's going to be. I don't know that's what the line's going to be, but I just think that's what it's going to be. Um, oh, man, prediction for the week. That is – BC over Nova? Yeah. Hell your, no. In your dreams. Hell no. I don't even – I mean – <laughs> my bold prediction is we get some games played. That's my bold <laughs> at this point in time. We get games played. That is, and if it happens, I look like a genius. One can only hope, man. One can only hope. Yeah, no, I guess if I, if I had to go with an actual team one, I would say Rhode Island over Arizona State. Nice. Nice. I like that one. I do like that one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with – I think that Kansas beats Gonzaga on Thursday on Thanksgiving. I don't know, like, how bold that is. Like, that's top ten teams. But I think Gonzaga is going to be one of those teams where they're better later than they do start. Especially, like we've mentioned, Nemhard coming back. He's just eligible now. You don't know how he's going to be in the rotation. Jalen Suggs, another top 10 freshman. His first game in college basketball is he's probably going to be defended by Marcus Garrett, who's the reigning defensive player of the year in all of America. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go that route. I'm going to say Kansas, as little of an upset as it might be, beats Gonzaga on Thursday on Thanksgiving. I dig it. But again, as long as we get games, we're happy. Any games. Any games. Just give me basketball, please. That's all we ask for. But, hey, we'll be back next week. More college basketball. It's going to be a weekly thing now, and we cannot wait. Stay safe, brother. Happy Thanksgiving. You too, kid. Eat up. You know it.